0: Episode 138 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. Visit LearnTheFinerPoints.com to find out
1: more. Jim Higgins, Professor of Aviation, University of North Dakota. AV nation what is going on and welcome
0: back to the pilot the pilot podcast my name is Justin seams and I am your host today's podcast as you see in the title is about everything aviation this is the state of the industry I think four or five let's go with five possibly yeah let's go with five with uh, dr Jim Higgins from North Dakota it's always great having uh, dr Jim Higgins on I wish this was about better circumstances I wish this was about a cares act 2 but unfortunately when we recorded this on October 1st some of this and some of this might Sound off. I hope it does. I hope that the furloughs have been reversed. I hope that there's a CARES Act too. But when we recorded this on October 1st, the CARES Act did not get passed. We have furloughs at American United, some regionals, possibly some other airlines here in the next future, in the next few months. Uh, without that CARES Act two, that pro- most likely will happen. But Dr. Jim Higgins and I, we we talk about the industry, we talk about where we are, we talk about furloughs, what to expect in the next couple months, where he predicts the future of aviation to be, and I ask him straightforward: Do you think there's going to be a CARES Act two? So, stay tuned and listen for that. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Piled. Pilot, and we have our links on our website, pilot dot pilothqcom I don't want to take up any more of your time, so any further ado, here's State of the Industry with Dr. Jim Higgins. Jim, what's going on? Welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast.
1: Thanks for having me back, Justin. Always good to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to have you back as well. Uh, today is uh, the infamous October 1st, so I know uh, CARES Act is officially done. October 1st was kind of the, the doomsday for, for all airline workers. And it seems like, we were just talking about before, we don't have the exact numbers yet as it's still kind of the news is still coming out, but it seems like American is the only one that has actually furloughed pilots and maybe United has furloughed flight attendants along with American. Is that kind of the gist you're getting right now? That,
1: that seems to be uh, the information I have as well. You know, It's obviously a very, very sad day Uh, A lot of regionals are also furloughing today as well, and so we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of pilots hit the street, and of course a lot of other employees, flight attendants, dispatchers, uh, gate agents. There's, there's, you know, it's a it's a really tough day. Uh, Cares too, so far is still in limbo, and it's really had a dramatic effect on many people's lives. Yeah,
0: it's really unfortunate. I mean, there's there's two cases to it. Like one where do we keep coming up with money and how much money do we give? Like how much is okay? And the other one is like, we want everyone to have a job. We want it to be just like it was before. So I I mean, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that, that that money wasn't able to be passed. And from what I read, I haven't read anything about United, but Doug Parker from American has come out and said that as soon as that carries pat, as soon as that carries money comes back, they're going to reinstitute those jobs. Now, I mean, it might depend on how much money they get versus if they're like, all right, well, now we can put back six hundred jobs or a thousand jobs or nineteen thousand flight attendants, whatever the number may be. So, I guess that is kind of determined on how much money they get.
1: Well, that's right, and you know, remember we we talked about this before. There is a risk to the legacy carriers uh, furloughing lots of employees right now. Uh, Not just the fact that it's difficult for the employees and really hard on them and it has morale issues, but it's also a risk with the business plan. Because if the industry returns faster than is expected or forecast by many prognosticators right now, uh, they may not be, these legacy carriers may not be in the best position to capture the market share as it increases. And their competitors certainly could be in a much better position. So. I can understand why American and also why a lot of the other uh, airlines have put in mitigative measures to try to uh, stymie some of these furloughs. Again, it's good for the employees in terms of you know not losing their jobs and you know figuring out you know how to feed their families. But on the other side of it, it's also good for the company because it allows them to maintain their flexibility, should increase, quickly pick up,
0: yeah. And uh, from talking about the airlines that have kind of avoided the furloughs for now, are you aware of any concessions that they gave up? I'm pretty sure United, it wasn't as bad as what I thought it was going to be. It was kind of, I think they split the company into thirds. I think they had the the upper third where they didn't take as much of a pay cut. The middle third took a little bit more. And the bottom third that was going to get furloughed took a um, a pretty significant pay cut. And I mean pay cut, I think it was just uh guaranteed flight hours. So they're not flying. They are only going to get paid for 35 hours versus 60, 50, whatever it may have been in the future. Is that similar to what you heard as well?
1: Yeah, and I've actually read that MOU that passed at United, and what you said is exactly correct. The, uh, it was stratified into thirds, the upper third in terms of seniority, the upper third. Uh, minimum pay guarantees were reduced, uh, I believe, to 65 Actually, so there was about a 10-hour reduction there. And the uh, middle third uh, lost about 20 hours. And then the bottom third that were likely the uh, most likely to be furloughed and go to the street, they were actually cut in half to about 35 hours. Uh, And that's on the minimum pay guarantee. There's a lot more to that agreement. You know, that wasn't the only furlough mitigation. There were some uh, lots of other things that went in there as well. A pretty complex agreement, actually, passed uh, 58 to 42. So it wasn't the most overwhelming pass, but when you look at the math of the thirds, that's about where I would have predicted uh, that it was going to fall. Did you
0: read anything in there that might have been like major concessions that you have fears that United can't get back in the future? Or did it more seem like, all right, guys, this is just going to be for the next two years. As soon as we get back, we're going to want to get back to the pay was and we know we have a brighter future ahead of us.
1: Well, there are concerning things. It was clearly a concessionary contract. You know, anytime you give up mitigations, drop men pay guarantees. I mean, it was a concessionary contract designed by the union to preserve jobs and designed by the company to maintain operational flexibility, but also uh, designed by the company to you know, not have to uh, uh, furlough as many. You know that, that causes a lot of uh, churn as well. The uh, protections built in from the union perspective are what we call snapbacks or what were traditionally called snapbacks. They're now called triggers, that's the circus. Snapback has a bad connotation from a labor history perspective. But uh, the idea is, is when certain things happen, it'll snap the contract back to the original non-concessionary elements uh, and so there's there's a bunch of those. Uh, you know, you're always worried about those from a union point of view because the snapbacks, especially when they're based on profitability or things that are completely under the control of the company. In years past, I'm certainly not saying it would happen now, but in years past, uh, management teams have been known to kind of play with that a little bit to hold off on the snapback provisions. So these partic- this, this particular MOU at United not only has that, but it also has a chronological snapback. So no matter what, At a certain point in time, there'll be a snapback to the original provision. So the union did their best to uh, try to protect against long-term problems.
0: Who do you think was more desperate to get this done? Do you think it was more of the union that was desperate to keep the pilots, or do you think it was the company desperate to save as much money as possible?
1: Well, this is an unusual agreement, right? I mean, United has had their share of furloughs in the past. And uh, certainly there are people there that have been furloughed twice and nobody really did an agreement for them. And so it was interesting that it came to fruition here. The company is on record, and I do believe this is accurate, as stating that it was more expensive for them to do it this way than it would have been if they just would have done a straight furlough. And I think that's probably correct. So then the question begs itself, why would they make that decision? And I think there is value in what I was just talking about earlier by maintaining your pilot staff. In the event of a quick uh, r- a ramp up, you can really maintain your flexibility. And and if all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden there's a cure, or uh, you know, we have a and there's some really good economic signs lately too. Uh, you know, a lot. It's a, you know, we certainly uh, experienced some uh, big uh, downturns there while everything was shut down, but we are starting to see some pent up uh, demand uh, come out a little bit, at least some parts of the economy. So I think the executives there, the CEOs, they see that. And they're just trying to hedge their bets a little bit, and they're willing to pay a slight premium for that. So I guess I guess it's one of those contracts that you'd have to say uh, there was leverage on both sides. Both sides are motivated to try to come to terms for something. And so I, I don't know who's more desperate, but I think they were both motivated. What do you
0: say, when, say in five years from now, when maybe the times are good and we can get pilots back, what do you say... Uh, when you're American, when you have a potential person, a potential, a potential pilot in front of you being like, well, ask a question, well, you are the only ones that actually furloughed pilots on a major level. Uh, Do you think that's going to hurt their confidence in the future? Do you think that that's going to be something that the other airlines are going to hold against them? Or uh, do you think that it's going to be back to like, Hey, we're American airlines. We, uh, we want you to work here and everyone will just sign up right away.
1: Well, I think that when you get to the level of a legacy or some of the other carriers like that, I think that likely they'll always be able to fill their seats. You know, they'll always be able to get folks in there. Their regional affiliates, on the other hand, may have some issues in the future in terms of, you know, will the furlough be uh, played against them? Uh, You know, there are companies out there that have never furloughed. JetBlue and Southwest are some examples of, of that. And so you can bet on the recruiting circuit when they're looking for new pilots, that is something that they uh, feature in their conversations. And, you know, that there is benefit. I mean, there's obviously going to be one of those aspects that when a pilot's deciding where they want to go in this industry, that should be part of their calculus, which companies are more prone, which which companies are less prone to furloughs. And also just from a business plan risk, which which companies have a business plan that's more resilient to downturns, you know, versus others. And that generally is going to be your leisure traveler, your low cost carrier, ultra low cost carrier type setup. You know, I think you're going to, I think you're going to see them at the end of the day, capture market share here that does not get given back to the legacies just because of the way things are lining up. And I think they're in it for the long haul. And I think they're going to have a pretty good story to tell future pilots that they recruit.
0: Yeah. And uh, we talked about those other, they all made consent. Most of those made con- concessions as well. Uh, they didn't furlough with the agreement of taking min guarantee drops as well, right? Like every airline that has a yeah. furlough, it had to come to some agreement with their, their pilot group to, to keep that from happening. It's not just out of the goodwill. of The company saying, hey, we're going to be fine, right?
1: No, you're, you're absolutely correct. There are some differences, though, when you look at, say, like Frontier, for instance. I mean, they are they're, they're still taking deliveries of Airbuses. Their growth plans have not been interrupted. And so, even though they did take some uh, mitigation, some concessions, just like everyone else, uh, they're looking at this as a very much more of a short-term situation than a longer-term situation. Whereas the legacies have the opposite viewpoint presently.
0: Have you looked at any of those other uh, MOUs um, about like which companies should be or not which company which pilot group should be more worried about what they give have given up or are all of them about the same of what the United was?
1: Well, they're not all about the same. I mean, they're all very tailored and customized to individual issues. You know, for instance, in United, there was a, a, a what I would call a pot sweetener from a negotiating point of view put in about you know tweaking the algorithms on their preferential bidding system. You know, that's something that's going to be very specific to United, but it's very something that could very much affect quality of life. I mean, it sounds like just a simple computer program, but any pilot that's lived under preferential bidding knows that their their quality of life is very much dependent upon the quality of coding by the software vendor that provides that type of scheduling. And so these little tweaks can have dramatic effects, and that's going to be something. And there's just as an example. So each each air carrier is going to look at, you know, what's going to work for them in the short term. You know, what's going to be kind of interesting, and it's something that's been talked about for years, is the part-time pilot. I mean, we have a lot of part-time pilots now. Even at United, the minimum pay guarantee dropped down, but with that also did the number of days you had to be... You know, uh, on duty. So we definitely have a lot of part-time pilots in this industry. One of the questions is going to be: uh, Is that a trend, and is that going to be something that works? Because for some people, that might be the perfect of you know job of all worlds—being you know part-time, working 35 to 40 hours a month of flying, and then you know having the rest of the time off. That's enough money for them, and you know they like the lifestyle that way. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, and then when those snapbacks come back, that those part-time might go away. So that's something they have to fight for in the future again, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if the union has come out. I don't, I don't know what Alpa's official position is on part time. There, there are some complications with that. You know, as long as it follows the seniority protocol, uh, you know, then I think that um, that would be something that could be very workable.
0: Now, we also have to talk about the regionals, like you said, like obviously the majors take a, a big stake and everyone that kind of focuses on them. But uh Endeavor is completely out of business. Um, I think it was Endeavor, right? Expressjet. No, no, no in, yeah.
1: ExpressJet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Endeavor's Endeavor's going strong.
0: Someone <laughs> someone flying out Endeavor listening, it's like, wait, what? We're out of business? Yeah. So all right. Expressjet is done officially as of today. Um yeah. And multiple regionals are furloughing and downgrading today as well. Uh, what was there any fight for unions at the at the regionals? Were they controlled kind of by uh, a wholly owned carrier? Did they kind of fight on their own what was uh, what was going on with those?
1: Well, we you know first the express jet. i mean what a what a proud airline. If you look at the history of that, it goes all the way back to continental express, ASA, the combination of that, two great, great carriers. Uh, you know, uh, it just reminds me a lot of Comair. You know, I had a, another great regional carrier that was a real trendsetter, bringing RJs to the regional industry. And then you have this Express Jet, which has which just, you know, done well. Uh, very senior pilots there. Very good pilots. Great safety record. Uh, great everything. I'm good friends with the VP of Flight Operations there, who's just a really stand-up person. And so my heart goes out to those folks. And you're right, this is the third... Regional airline death that we've experienced so far uh, catalyzed quite a bit, I think, by uh, you know COVID, and that of course includes Compass and Trans States. And so, as we see these things happen, it causes great disruption. And to your question of, you know, what are the regionals doing about this? Are there management teams out there trying to mitigate, trying to find new business, if that's possible, whatever the case may be? The answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, The dust has not settled on the regional industry and who's going to be flying what at the end. You have some folks at Mesa, for instance, with Jonathan Ornstein, who is, you know, widely considered, you know, one of the uh, steadfast folks that have been there. I mean, he's got some... Good and bad reputation with them amongst labor unions, but but he's been there a while and he knows exactly what's going on. And, you know, he's looking at uh, cargo, you know, as a way to diversify and not be so dependent upon their mainline partners. And so we're seeing things like that. You're also seeing, um, well, just as I explained before, these service agreements that exist between regionals and their mainline partners – Almost all of them are going to have provisions that basically say, "Hey, in situations like this, you know, may, we may end up canceling your contract or sharply reducing it," and that's exactly what's going on. I I hope that we've seen uh, the extent of uh, furloughs. You know, I. I, I Would hate to see uh, another company go under or whatever the case may be. You know, a lot's going to depend on the recovery and how quickly things get uh, up to speed. And as far as who's going to be flying what for whom, like I said, the dust is still being settled there.
0: And this is kind of a a worst case scenario question, but do you see a potential where the majors kind of look at this and, and see that maybe the regional... Uh, space isn't worth it for them anymore to sell that off. Maybe they're like, all right, we have pilots, we have airplanes. We're just going to put them on our own airplanes. Uh, do you potentially see that? Maybe a consolidation of regionals into to two or three, or uh, uh, maybe there's just one big sky west that flies some for everyone. Is that a potential?
1: Well, I suppose it's always a, a possibility that exists. I don't know that that was um, uh, you know, brought on anymore by the current condition. You know, the philosophical idea behind regional affiliates with major airlines. You know, there was a time when we started seeing consolidation towards a fewer number of regionals. Then we had the 97 COM airstrike and that pretty much shut down some big hubs for Delta. And after that, all the other airlines started saying, you know, we need multiple cross-pollinated regional partners. So in the event that there's a problem at one, uh, then we'll still be able to stay operational with our regional feed. So then the movement went to let's get a bunch of regional affiliates Let's, you know, have everyone give everyone a little piece. And then when, you know, things are bad at one, you know, if a fleet type gets, uh, grounded by the FAA or there's a labor disruption or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, they start negotiating too strongly and, and we can't afford their prices. Then we'll have others that we can, you know, what's called whip sign. We'll have others that we can go back and, and get them into place. And, and so that still has value uh, for the major airlines. As far as your question of, we, you know, we have pilots, we can fly. You know, the, the problem is, is the economics, of flying, you know, 50 to 70 seat aircraft in the markets that can support 50 to 70 seat aircraft uh, don't exactly hold up really well long term when you get to the mainline pilots uh, just with their contracts. And so there is that facet of the industry that I see still being served by the regional feed, at least for a while, unless something else fundamentally changes.
0: Yeah. And uh, with with losing, with regional pilots being furloughed, it leads to kind of like a, a mass exodus back to flight schools and uh, other building of time jobs. You currently up in North Dakota, have you seen students come back or former students come back? Have you seen uh, former or regional pilots that have been furloughed try to come back? Uh, what's that landscape looking like?
1: Yeah, no, I, there's definitely been some folks that have come back and, you know, uh, are actually filling some of these jobs that, uh, you know, for a long time you know, we were seeing a pretty good turnstile. I will tell you, and I've heard this throughout the industry, the uh, flight training industry, we have not seen um, a drop-off yet in the number of people that are coming into flight school. So, you know, when you look at some of the forecasts we made in the past, generally speaking, when you have an economic downturn like this and the pilot hiring at the majors freeze or we end up with furloughs, um, you know, it generally has a pretty good effect on people coming into the industry. And we have not seen that manifest this time. We're still seeing pretty healthy enrollments throughout the industry. I guess we'll see what happens next year and into the future, uh, you know, because people have to pay for this. And if the economy is in a recession, it might be difficult to find capital to pay for some of this training. So we'll see long term how it goes. But, but right now, Uh, there's still uh, plenty of activity at the flight schools.
0: Wouldn't you think that would be a little bit delayed by a couple months, maybe even a year, just because they're already in the flight school. Maybe they already, like you said, they already have the semester paid for. Don't you think that drop-off will probably hit once that money runs up or once it becomes a little bit harder, they might not have that extra motivation to go find the money or take out extra loans?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the real question. We will, we will absolutely see uh, how that works out. You know, when COVID hit, you know, you probably that was in, you know, the March, uh, April time frame. Most of the students by then had already, you know, incoming uh, freshmen had already made up their mind to go to their individual universities and where they were going to go by then. So you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, most of them probably stuck to that. We'll see if that same thought process, the same, um, uh, you know, way of uh, planning exist for the incoming freshman next year. I I will say this ironically and paradoxically, you know, this would be in my opinion, one of the best times to hop in the industry. And I'm not just saying that I'm just looking at the math because we're going to have a pretty good suppression of, uh, uh, people coming into the industry, we knew before all this happened that we already had a pretty good shortage developing in different facets of the industry. Now that there's not going to be hiring and people are going to be furloughed, we're going to see a lot of people abandon the career path for a while. And then and what's going to happen is, is when the retirements accelerate in the mid-2020s, And uh, when the economy recovers and it will recover, there's no doubt you're going to see growth again, pretty good growth. And, you know, we're going to exacerbate the pilot shortage problem uh, as well. Always seems to be something that comes along to kind of throw a wrench in the pilot shortage stuff, whether it was the age 65 change or the Great Recession, you know, things like that. Now this. Uh, But, you know, fundamentally, uh, the fundamentals remain the same.
0: Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like inevitably they're going to have to either 67 or 68, maybe extend that a little bit in three or five years just because they already forced some people, not forced, but they, they asked for retirements to save money now, not thinking about the future, which obviously you need to save money now so you can provide and have an airline in the future. But you almost wonder if it's almost going to force their hand to, to extend those ages.
1: You know, it's a, it's possible, you know, that's been talked about. I know there are different groups talking about that. One of the issues though, is not, uh, you know, actually less than um, 50% of the pilots would likely make it to age 67 for either their own personal reasons of just retiring or for medical reasons. I mean, already to make it to 65, you're looking at about 60% that go all the way to 65. So, so we'll see, I don't know if it would help a whole lot. You know, um, we can, we've probably never talked about this, but the, the whole reason, in my opinion, of why the age 60 rule was changed to age 65 back when it happened was simply because of the Social Security and the lack of retirements. When the, when the retirements went away uh, during all the uh, post-9-11 Great Recession timeframe, what happened was you had a group of pilots that um, had no way to bring in any income whatsoever once they hit age 60. And they re, their Social Security, in some cases, wouldn't kick in until 65 And so um, at the time before that, if you I don't know if you remember, but the labor unions were very much opposed to age 65, very much opposed and would always fight it. And in fact, fought it off successfully just a few years prior to the actual change. But when all of a sudden you have a large group of pilots that were going to go from a very high income to zero and really no way to take in Social Security for several years, that quickly changed that uh, age, which was, uh, in my opinion, that was the catalyst for that. And
0: and who would that benefit more? You almost think, I mean, obviously it screws over the younger pilots, like uh, my generation or people a little bit younger than me, or even a little bit older where they're uh, going to be extended as an FO, but... You almost wonder like that sounds like it could help out the labor unions more than it would the company. I mean granted it helps uh, get more bodies there, but it also extends your your lifestyle and extends your 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 career and you make the top money for an extended period of time so it, it kind of helps out both in that situation,
1: yeah, and you know the the thing is is the company obviously for economic reasons would rather have newer pilots on a lower pay step than than the more senior pilots but i will tell you it's an interesting uh situation i remember when i was the mec chair at american eagle back in the early 2000s just after 9 11. you know that question came up about the age 60 65 and you know what did i we had to take a position at the alpha board of directors on that and uh we talked about that and from a regional perspective we generally opposed uh, the raising of the age to 65 because most of our pilots were transient and wanted to move on. Personally, I supported that because I just thought it was fair. I thought arbitrarily, this is just Jim Higgins, opinion arbitrarily, whenever you apply a rule that tells someone they can't do something because of something that's beyond their control. I mean, you can't control your age. It is what it is. Uh, I've always felt that that uh, is an unfair. I mean, to me, it's blatant age discrimination to say, well, you're too old. You can't do this anymore. When in fact, that may not be the case. And so, uh, just for ethical, moral reasons, I always, uh, I, I don't really personally think there should be an age limit. I think we should adopt what you see it's Europe and some other places where if you can pass a, a, a more rigorous physical in your later years, that's fine. But that's just for moral, ethical reasons, for economic reasons, which you said is exactly right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah, but it's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out because it seems like, uh we're probably going to adapt more of the IKO medical rules. I mean, that just kind of seems like where the landscape is going. It's almost like, well, it's a safety issue in one point. But- but it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting how that all plays out, especially with the airlines and the labor unions and the FAA and, and how it's going to work out. But uh, right, right now, most people are probably not worried about what's going to happen when they're 60, 65. They're worried about uh, kind of what's encompassing them right now. And one thing that I've been finding and talking to people and uh, someone asked me actually on a podcast I was on, it was they asked me, do I identify as a pilot? And it really made me start thinking about How people aren't just losing their jobs; they're losing their identity. You know, like being a pilot is as much as LeBron James being LeBron James. Like it's who you are. It's it's how you make your living, obviously. But it's like what people know you as. They know you for your whole life. They've always been, oh, that's Justin the pilot. He's always been flying. And when they strip that identity away from you, it can really leave you in a very sad and depressed state. Um, historically through furloughs, have we ever, have we seen a spike in, uh, depression, suicide or anything of like that in the pilot group? Has that ever been proven or has that ever come up as uh, an issue with a company like furloughing or anything?
1: Well, I think that's a very, very good question. I, I think that's something that we should really focus on as an industry. I don't know. I don't know of an actual study that has been done. That's focused exclusively on furloughed pilots. However, everything you just talked about, Justin, resonates with me. I completely agree. You know, I think most people will uh, always have an element of their own identity based on their profession, whether you're a school teacher, doctor, nurse, or pilot. However, I do agree with you that with pilots, it really becomes even more important. And you know, um, and so when that's taken away from you, you're 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 absolutely right. There's going to be so many people, uh, probably the majority of people. Uh, are going to be greatly affected by that and it's it's sad so that is something i think we all have to be on the lookout for i think in general mental health and uh, pilots that's a whole issue we can talk about someday i've always felt that um, the mechanisms in place to help pilots are poor and you know we often make people choose between you know whether or not they want to hang up their career or go get go get, you know, mental health, uh, help from a practitioner. And I think it's just an impossible choice. So that is something we really need to focus on and we need to take care of each other. And people need to be aware that as they go through this, you know, it's, it's not the end. If you're getting furloughed, it's not the end. We, we don't know how long it's going to take and that doesn't help, but you know, that, that job will be there at some point in the future. And if it's not at the airline that you're getting furloughed from, there will be jobs in the future. And so you will get that part back. And I think that's really important to talk about Justin.
0: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Cause I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's just like we said, it's it's more than just a job to a lot of people. And now there there's other industries like that too. But you know, being a pilot, it's sexy, it's cool, your friends all look up to you. Whenever you go to parties, everyone just wants to talk to you about aviation stuff. And now that's kind of stripped away from you, so I do think it's important. And it's there's nothing that that you or I or anyone that has been able to to never be furloughed or to keep their job can help console. I mean, it's just uh it's it's hard for them, and I think it's just something that we either need, need to reach out and just tell them we're thinking of them. You ever want to talk? Like we can go talk. We can go get a beer, salad, whatever you do. But right. I, I don't know what steps are in place. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing unions are are kind of thinking that is an issue, but you know, you never really know until it becomes an issue.
1: Well, there's a couple of things there. The unions are uh, definitely looking at that. Companies are looking at it as well. Uh, generally speaking, employee assistance programs uh, that uh, exist at companies uh, will at least be extended temporarily towards people that are laid off. And these employee assistance programs are anonymous programs that you can call and you can get placed with a, a mental health practitioner in your community. And I know one of the questions that comes up has always been, well, don't I have to disclose that when I go to get my medical? Um, I, you know, I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble for this, Justin. You don't have to comment on this if you don't want to. But in my risk assessment on that particular issue, I have always felt that if you have a mental health issue, whoever, whoever it is, and you're flying airplanes, you should absolutely go seek and get that help. And then you can decide with your mental health um, therapist whether or not that needs to be disclosed uh, on your AME. And I know there's people at the FAA inspectors right now that are listening to this that are saying that's intentional falsification if you don't don't include that. But uh, I take a bigger view on that, and I think that we're way behind as an industry and uh, at the FAA on that as well uh, on, on how we should uh, we should we should have an ASRS type a NASA form. Uh, system in place for that just to help pilots, you know, not making possible choices. But I'm getting adrift on that, but uh, it's definitely something that is on people's minds. There are programs. I know ALPA has a portal out there. I'm sure other unions do as well. And they're going to include some resources for mental health aspects.
0: Yeah. And I'm not necessarily going to agree with that, but I'm going to say that there should be pressure put on the FAA that if say someone gets furloughed and they're in a really dark spot and they're strong enough and they realize that or their friends realize that and they help them go seek help. I think that that should be seen as, this was caused by the industry. Like you caused this to them by decisions to furlough. And I know there's nothing they could do in this situation, but like the furlough wasn't their fault. It's not something they brought up upon themselves and it doesn't, it, it shouldn't deter how they act in the future in the cockpit. So I think, yeah, it's going to be really interesting how that how that's viewed upon. I think the FAA uh, might be coming with some difficult decisions and maybe figuring out ways to be more adaptable to a situation like that.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I really like the fact that you brought up, you have to be strong enough to recognize that. You know, I do think that just as a society, sometimes uh, we have some kind of this, uh, this, this perception or an obstacle that if we go and ask for help uh, from a mental health provider, that for somehow it makes us weak or it makes problematic or whatever. You know, I've always took a different viewpoint. I mentioned this to my classes all the time. You know, if you have a broken arm, it's silly to sit there and say, well, I'm not going to go see a doctor to, to get a cast on. This will just heal on its own. Well, I mean, it may heal on its own, but it may not heal right. You need to get professional help for that. And the same thing for mental health. And you're exactly right. This is this is no one's fault. Uh, well, it's the virus's fault, right? You yeah. know, it's the virus's fault. And so um, it's just uh, one of those things that happen. It's a bummer. But I think you're what you said was spot on.
0: Yeah. And it's something don't be embarrassed about. Like it's uh, yep. just, just try to get help. We want you here. We want you back and we want you to be happy uh, at, at your happiest when you can. And if that's what you're flying an airplane, we'll get you back there as soon as we can.
1: Completely agree. And I can tell you, I have knowledge of dozens and dozens of pilots that have gone through mental health issues that have had them resolved with the assistance of professionals and everything's great and they're doing fantastic and they're thriving and, you know, if someone's listening to this right now and they're wondering if that could be them, the answer is absolutely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So good I advice, mean. Justin. Yeah,
0: no, well, same to you. It's, it's, it needs to be said, needs to be talked about. Hard decisions or hard discussions like that need to be said. And yeah, hopefully it can, someone can reach out and help and go seek help if you need it. But uh, moving on a little bit, I don't want to harp on that any much too much more because I think we kind of talked about everything that we can in there. Um what do you see right now? Uh, confidence. What what sparks confidence? I know you talked about the economy, but what is on your mind right now that that promotes uh, good fortune for the aviation industry in the future? I know, uh, like we said, the economy is coming up. Um, the election is going to be over here soon. Do you see uh, an upward progression? Do you see uh, mountains and, and peaks, or peaks and valleys uh, for the next couple of years, or do you see a constant, steady increase in passenger traffic? Uh, what do you what are you seeing? What are you predicting right now?
1: Well, so I'm still holding to the fact that by the end of the year, we would we would love to see 1.1 to 1.3 million passengers go through our turnstiles in the U.S. You know, we have had a few days in the last month or two that have been in the nine hundred 900,000s, 800,000s. So I think that that's still possible. Um, I did see an IATA report the other day. And of course, IATA does the world. So it's not just focused on North America or on the U.S. But it did appear that worldwide, and this is kind of bad news, but then I'll follow up with some good news. It did appear that future bookings into the last quarter seemed to be down a little bit more than where they were this particular summer at this time, this far out. And so, um, that's not a good, that's not a good thing. So hopefully that that cracks, maybe people are just waiting to uh, make plans a little bit later. Um, and maybe that doesn't affect North America as much as it does the rest of the world. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but if we can get to that 1.1 to 1.3 million mark, that's going to be a, a really good mark. I, you know, by the time we get back to the 2.4, 2.5 million, which we saw with regularity, you know, in 2019 levels, Um, that's still years away, you know, two, three years away. However, the good news is, is we don't need to get to those levels to return to profitability. You know, if we can get to the one, seven, one, eight, uh, especially if you start talking about the low cost carriers, you know, that don't rely on the business or international travel, you're going to see them return to profitability quicker. And then that means growth. And then, uh, then that means, you know, hiring. And so, so, you know, that's the way I look at it, and um, I haven't really changed much from that in the last uh, uh, four to five months, um, and, you know, I hope, it, I hope it bears out that way. You know, we always recover, though. I mean, we have every time, every other uh, – th- I, I, I was just having this conversation the other day after 9-11. I know you and I have talked about it. There were a lot of people that said, you know, that's pretty much the end of aviation. People will never feel safe to go fly and you know the industry will never come back and we know that that's not true. It took a while but we we are resilient, we do recover. So I'm still holding to that.
0: Do you think airlines are doing enough right now to try to bring because there there's only so much they can do right now. The virus is still active, the virus is still um is still out there and it's still a significant risk if you go fly. Do you think the airlines are doing enough right now to uh, to help safety or do you think um to help bring back the public uh, perception of flying as being safe? Uh, I know American United, they're not worried about middle seats. They're they're willing to book every flight as full as possible. Southwest Delta, to my knowledge, I don't know about the other ones, are booking the 70% and they're blocking all middle seats. Do you think all airlines are doing enough as a whole? Do you think some airlines are doing enough? Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think the airlines could market that a little bit better because the truth is there's already been uh, several studies that have come out now and you're probably familiar with them. The risk of uh, getting covid uh, on a flight is remote, and the risk of getting COVID on a flight and dying from it is really remote. And there's, so there's been a lot of studies that have quantified that recently. Also, we we know that um cus- that forward facing, I'm sorry, customer facing employees in the industry are getting COVID at rates far less than the, the general public, and we don't we don't know why, but the airlines will tell you they think it's because they're keeping things really, really safe. Well, I, I think they may be right. Uh, there could be a number of reasons why that's the case, but they may be right. But that, I, I think they could do a better job of marketing that. I know they don't have all the money in the world right now to do a big marketing campaign, but um, this is something I think we need to get the message out that as far as modes of transportation, flying is uh, relatively safe compared to others. And also, um, you know, we're seeing uh, good studies out there that, that demonstrate that and the airlines are making big efforts there.
0: Do you think there's certain airlines are doing better job than others or do you think they're all doing the best they can with what they have?
1: Well, I think they've all done a really good job in their, uh, you know, with their procedures of cleansing the planes and doing all that. I just think, I just think they're not marketing themselves as well. There certainly are some I've seen Delta, I've seen United and I've seen American and I'm sure there's others, but these are just ones I've seen anecdotally. They have run online, uh, you know, YouTubes and, uh, ads and things like that. Facebook ads. But, uh, you know, I just think that there could be more. Maybe this is something, you know, I'm, I'm not a big believer all the time in getting the government involved in things, but maybe this is something the government can get behind as well and, and you know, put out a recommendation, a CDC recommendation, because it's been thoroughly studied and it's based on science that basically lets the public know that, that you know, they believe it's uh, uh, as safe as can be you know, under this current circumstances.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to take all efforts. It's going to take maybe government help, uh, uh, anyone that has a position. I mean, the media, uh, their own personal marketing campaigns, everyone, it's going to take a lot. I mean, uh, it's truly, even if you can tell someone dead to their face and prove to them a science, that's still not going to be enough for everyone. That's still, oh, right. yeah. it's like, well, yeah, but there's still the chance. Like if I can control, where I am at all times and I'll be okay. Now there's one argument like, well, I mean, you, who wants to live like that? But some people uh, in this situation, that's the best option for them. Maybe they're forced to, maybe they are of that age or they have people in their family that are of their age or have a compromised immune system where they can't afford to take risks that other people can. So there's only so much that one can do. Uh, and it just, I think it's going to take repetition. It's going to take more time. It's going to take more studies. It's going to take a couple months, a couple years, hopefully not a couple years, but some—just it's just going to take time, unfortunately. It's just like you said, 9-11, it took time to restore faith in the aviation industry. And it's not the aviation industry's fault. They're just a product of of their environment and what's going on right now.
1: Right. You're absolutely right. I do think the one big difference in terms of that question of confidence and faith is the um, idea that with 9-11... You know, you always had that terrorist threat. It was unambiguous. And I mean, we did have, you know, what happened on 9-11 happened on 9-11. But, but then there were subsequent attempts made after that. The shoe bomber out of Africa and some of the others, it, they didn't, weren't successful, thank God. But that was enough to stay in the psyche of the public to say, man, when is the next plane going to go? And by the way, whenever there was an accident, there was an American Airlines accident, I believe in New York, uh, shortly after 9-11, it was, a, it was attributed to the tail, uh, to the rudder, right, of the Airbus um, uh, uh, in the the maneuvers that were done, but immediately everyone thought, "Oh, there was another." I mean, I was there; I was flying in the industry at the Everyone thought, "Well, there was another terrorist attack, right?" And so, so that has that has subsided over a length of time. But the difference here is is once we get a vaccine, you know, praying that we do get one, or once we get a very effective therapeutic, or if none of those work, once we get very rapid testing that can be done passenger by passenger. Uh, You know, right there with results. Um, I think that until one of those three things happen, you know, or once one of those three things happen, you'll see almost almost instant, almost instant, at least 75, 80 percent of the public will restore their faith because that threat has been resolved and uh, protective measures are put in place. Whereas with the terrorism threat that lingered and it was unambiguous and, and it wasn't clear. So once we get that part cleared then we just have to deal with the economic fallout, which is major. It's significant. but but at least we can move beyond the fearfulness of flying completely. And we will have there there will be an end to that at some point.
0: you mentioned the the rapid test. and United has just come out and said that they are securing a way to get rapid tests for for I don't know if it's for all flights or for flights to Hawaii and Alaska to start out or even international flights. Do you see that being like a common thing? Like you need your passport, you need your ID, you need your positive, your negative COVID test. Do you see that uh, being a thing so, in the future?
1: So I've actually read quite a bit about this. And, and the rapid tests are uh, making significant progress. There's, there's, there's these, uh, they're get, you know, whether or not they get approved or not by the FDA, you know, remains to be seen. But there are some prototype tests being developed that include these little like pieces of paper that you can spit on, no kidding, you know, and, and if they turn a certain color now, now my understanding is at this point in time, they're not as sensitive as, you know, the full blown medical swabbing, you know, brain poke test, if you've ever had one of those tests uh, for COVID, uh, but those can take quite a while to analyze, you know, whereas these are not as, they're, again, they're not as sensitive, but a lot of the health experts are thinking they're sensitive enough to determine whether or not you're infective at that, or infectious, I'm sorry, at that particular time, which which of course is what we're worried about. So the idea would be, yes, you're in the boarding area or maybe it becomes a, God forbid, a TSA function. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't even say that, right? But, but uh, uh, you know, the idea is, is you go through a security line and then the next thing you go through is is you go through a COVID line. You get your test, you wait in line, it's supervised. And as long as it's uh, clear and it's rapid, you know, we're talking a few minutes uh, then you're able to board, and I mean, I really do think that um, that technology will will get here. Uh, it'll probably get here by the end of the year. So if we don't get a vaccine or a therapeutic, you'll probably see something like that happen. And it makes a lot of sense. I think you'll see it for lots of places, sports venues. Um, you know any any place where people congregate?
0: Yeah, the only real argument there. Well, if you do any place that people congregate, because there's one difference. Like if it's not TSA, it has to be where when you enter the airport. Because if they don't do those tests to to the workers in the airport or just someone that is uh, just hanging out, I don't know. You can't really hang out in airports. But you know what I mean? Uh, if yep. you if you get contracted the virus right before you take that test, maybe that test doesn't have time to to take that into account, or takes a day for that to come in. So you can still be exposed to. You know, there's still a lot of like throughs in that that where it doesn't make complete sense you can't control everyone and there's still going to be that possibility i guess as i'm getting at you, you,
1: you can't control everyone but that particular test uh is is designed specifically to determine if you're infectious okay so that that's 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 the theory anyway now whether or not it gets fda approved for that you know i i don't know i mean everyone generally agrees from what i've read that the uh rapid testing is not as sensitive and accurate as you know the pcr testing that we're familiar but that can take you know 72 hours to get results
0: and I I can't see a, a we're having people we're having trouble getting people to wear masks. I can't imagine having <laughs> having oh, people to yeah. take a PCR test.
1: Yeah, well, it's just yeah, you know, I mean, it's going to be difficult enough to get people to to spit or lick yeah. a piece of paper to determine whether or not they have COVID. So I don't uh, I don't know. I mean, but but I do think that that's definitely one strategy that needs to be looked at in addition to the therapeutic and the vaccine.
0: Uh, moving on a little bit, uh, overlooking how everything has progressed. Is there any airline or is there any strategy that have you seen that has worked best? Or do you think each airline isn't a product of where they were before? Kind of, uh, they're kind of the mis- not necessarily mistakes, but they're overlooking stuff because business was so good or they never thought this would ever happen. Do you see any airline in specific? It could be a regional, it could be a major that has reacted to this the best and implemented? Um, a lot of strategies to help them in the future and to grow when this is all said and done, or do you think they're all just still right now, just kind of trying to figure everything out?
1: Well, you know, I I look at some of the low cost carriers, you know, Frontier and Spirit are two that come to mind. Allegiant, you know, they were making they were making a lot of money before this, and they have massive expansion plans. And I do believe that they're. I mean, if if you made me make a bet on who's going to recover the quickest. Between, you know, the mainline business plans, uh, you know, and the low cost carriers, I, I would I would bet on the low cost carriers, I think, because they're just they don't rely on the business traveler and international travel as much as, as their counterparts. Um, from the regional point of view, you're seeing both um, uh, SkyWest is uh, keeping his head above water. Uh, and you're seeing, you know, Republic to a certain degree is, is, is doing okay. I mean, there are some of these, uh, regionals that are, are, are doing okay. Of course, commute air is hiring. Of course, sadly, we know the reason for that is because they're, they're taking over some of the, um, gay or some of the, um, uh, uh, passenger loads from ExpressJet. So, I mean, there are some carriers that, uh, seem to be weathering just like we saw on nine 11. There were some carriers that weathered things better than others.
0: You, um, I know I've asked this every single time, but do you see a future where one of these airlines don't make it? Do you see where either through consolidation or just, um, I mean, I'm just going to say this because they're hurting a lot, but like United when they they had so much Asia Pacific traffic, do you see a scenario where maybe a bigger airline, a major or even more regionals just they can't can't make it?
1: So on the regionals, I think that that is possible. It's always possible just because, of the tenuous nature of the reliance on the mainline partner. And it's, it, that's exacerbated in the current environment. So that's always going to be an issue there on the major airlines right now. I, I think most of them are managed very well to the point where unless there's another major hit, you know, a world war breaks out, another pandemic, God forbid any of these things happen, you know, um, uh, I think that, uh, they're, they're all going to make it. Um, now, what are their sizes going to be when they emerge on the other side of this? What are their market shares going to look like? That That's the other question. I think you're definitely going to see, you're going to see some carriers take more than a haircut uh, on some of this. And, you know, you mentioned those that rely on international travel. That's that's likely going to be the last to return, both in terms of passenger numbers, but also in terms of revenue. Yeah.
0: yeah it's it, it, Really, time will tell. I mean, I guarantee you they're going to want, they make a lot of money going international. So as soon as they can, it's going to be interesting. Do they try to put all their money back in that boat? Or, and you how hesitant they are. We're very quick to forget when we can find profits, you know, just as, just yep. as a natural human being, if you can find a way to make money and you can find a way, and especially in the avi- aviation industry, they've been known to to put profits over a lot of uh, safety in the past. That's I've definitely gotten better now when it's definitely more regulated, but it's just a it's part of the industry. It always has been.
1: Well, yeah, they're they're definitely, all the carriers are definitely going to be looking for opportunities. There's There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, How about on uh, the airport side? Uh, obviously, uh, American, Delta, United, everyone has pulled out of some airports. Um, how are local airports doing? I mean, they're probably some of them have lost all airline service. Some of them have lost a good amount of airline service. Do you see airline or airports maybe not kind of continuing and maybe having to shut doors? Uh, some of the smaller airports that is not as traveling?
1: Well, I think as far as uh, airports from a passenger service point of view, a commercial airline point of view, you are definitely going to see uh, some losses there. You already have. You're absolutely right. In terms of the airport themselves shutting down, no, because, you know, there's, they, they're funded from a complex formula of uh, uh, local, state, and federal funding, uh, so I, I think that, you know, there's no danger of the actual airport itself closing, but commercial air service, yes, and I do think that this this COVID could bring on um, what was identified as a trend many years ago which is this? It's called regionalization, is the concept, and I, I, I think it was proposed by. And I hope I get this right. I hope I hope he said this because if not, I'll hear about it. But Swellbar at MIT. I think I, I listened to a lecture of his once, and and I think it was him that said that they had done some studies at MIT, and and they determined that um, uh, that people are willing to drive over an hour to uh, get to an airport to get commercial service, and so what you might see is what we call regionalization, where you might start seeing less service to some of these outer line, smaller uh, rural communities, and people have to drive a little bit longer than they're used to, to get to an airport that has airline service. So I do think that's definitely a possibility. Okay.
0: Let's talk CARES Act 2. What do you see it being? Do you see it being uh, loans and grants like the first one? Do you see it being, hey, we need this all paid back? Uh, Is it going to be the same as before? What's kind of the word on the street, if you have any insight?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about this before and and I remember you asked me if I thought it would go through. And sadly, I'm sorry to say it was one of the predictions I made that that was no, I didn't think it would come through. However, I gave it a chance. Um, It still might. Right. I mean, it's not dead. It just didn't happen in time for the October 1st. So people are going to feel feel the pain today. But uh, absolutely, there's some provisions in there. Uh, I am not, you know, from what I've heard from both aisles and from people that are in the know there are multiple ideas being floated around the vast majority of them because there is a little bit more pushback on this one from other industries and from you know some of the taxpayer uh, organizations out there uh so i think you're less likely to see grants with this one uh you're more likely to see loans uh and so we'll see from there you'll still see the provisions placed on them, you know, to keep from, you know, employee bonuses, stock buybacks, you know, things like that. Uh, Hopefully furlough, more furlough protection. Um, you know, so, so let's hope it passes. It is an election year. So I was actually, I actually thought it might've had a shot and it still, still might. And I think people should still, you know, contact their, uh, you know, politicians and you tell them what their will is on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Let's hope so for all the jobs that uh, have, been, have been lost today. It is October 1st. Like we said, it is the a bad day in the aviation industry. And a lot of brothers and sisters of, of pilots and flight attendants or anyone in the aviation industry are struggling right now. So uh, let, let's hope that can be passed. And like you said, contact your your local government, whether it's your Congress or Senator or whoever, your, I don't know, your mayor or whoever, tell your brother, I don't tell anyone to that, the uh, aviation matters in this country. It affects our GDP considerably. It affects our economy considerably. Um, so yeah, anything that can help and just reach out and help them out. So, uh, Jim, those are pretty much all the questions I have for you. Do you think anything else we can talk about that's, uh, timely and, uh, that, uh, that needs to be said?
1: Well, I think we've covered uh, a lot of topics, but I'm always happy to talk to you, Justin. I, I think this is important to get the word out. And again, my uh, thoughts and prayers are with the families today that are experiencing the furlough. You know, I've had a furlough in my family. I grew up, my dad was furloughed uh, from uh, Northwest and he was on Strike of Continental. Uh, and so I, you know, it's just one of those things with this industry that uh, unfortunately is a product of it, but it doesn't make it less painful. So we'll be thinking of everyone we'll be hoping for uh, CARES too. And we'll also hope for a, a speedy recovery and just everyone uh, take care of themselves and take care of each other. Definitely.
0: Very well said. I'm going to put you in the spot. Uh, yes or no, or a percentage of a chance that you think that there will be a cares to.
1: Uh, boy, I mean, I hate to say it. I, uh, I think it's, I mean, I hate to say this, Justin, I just hope I'm wrong. Uh, I just think it's, it's, it's less likely um, that it won't happen then, then it will let me, let me just put it that way but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try
0: right no I agree that, that doesn't mean yeah. it's over and it doesn't mean that that you're right we just have to have to try and hope for the best so uh, Jim yeah, thank you so I, much for coming so. on
1: yeah, thanks I Justin really thanks for having me yeah. always good
0: to talk with you absolutely thank you for your time thanks yeah AV Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that you are sharing with some of your friends because this is a very important podcast, a very important conversation to have. I'm always grateful for Jim to come on. It is a lot of fun to talk with him. I'm hoping to get him on here soon and we can talk about how there is a new CARES Act and those jobs have been reinstated. Uh, if you think there are any other questions that I should ask him, please email me pilotpilothq at gmail.com. I'm always looking to improve the podcast or if you think that you have a question that needs to be answered by him or by me or by any one, just let me know. But Aviation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.